0: Hi everyone, Andrew here. Soon it will be time to start a new book on Send Me to Sleep, and we want you to help us decide what to read. Follow the link in the episode show notes and submit your vote. Thanks a lot.
1: Welcome to Send Me to Sleep. The place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew,
0: and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taking this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep.
1: Tonight, I'll be reading The Mysterious Affair at Stiles, Part 5.
0: In the last chapters, an interview with the gardener confirmed that Mrs. Inglethorpe had written a new will hours before her death. In
1: this chapter, Miss Evelyn Howard returns to Styles Court.
0: This story contains themes that some listeners may find unsettling, but slight edits have been made to make it more suitable for sleep.
1: If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath and settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you need to do is follow the sound of my voice as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 5 Part 2
0: I was relieved when she took me by the hand, with her well-remembered, painful grip. The eyes that met mine were sad, but not reproachful. That she had been crying bitterly, I could tell by the redness of her eyes. But her manner was unchanged from its old gruffness.
1: Started the moment I got the wire. Just come off night duty. Hired car. Quickest way to get here. Have you had anything to eat this morning, Evie? Asked John. No. I thought not. Come along. Breakfast's not cleared away yet, and they'll make you some fresh tea. He turned to me. Look after her, Hastings, will you? Wells is waiting for me. Oh, here's Monsieur
0: Poirot. He's helping us, you know, Evie. Miss Howard shook hands with Poirot, but glanced suspiciously
1: over her shoulder at John. What do you mean, helping us? Helping us to investigate. Nothing to investigate? Have they taken him to prison yet? Taken who to prison? Who? Alfred
0: Inglethorpe, of course. My dear Evie, do be careful. Lawrence is of the opinion that my mother died from heart seizure. More for Lawrence, retorted Miss Howard. Of course, Alfred Inglethorpe murdered poor Emily, as I always told you he would. My dear Evie, don't shout so. Whatever we may think or suspect, it is better to say as little as possible for the present. The inquest isn't until Friday. Not until fiddlesticks. The snort Miss Howard gave was truly
1: magnificent.
0: You're all off your heads. The man will be out of the country by then. If he's any sense, he won't stay here tamely and wait to be hanged. John Cavendish looked at her hopelessly. I know what it is, she accused him. You've been listening to the doctors, never should. What do they know? Nothing at all, or just enough to make them dangerous. I ought to know. My own father was a doctor. That little Wilkins is about the greatest fool that i ever seen. Heart seizure, sort of thing he would say. Anyone with any sense could see at once that her husband had poisoned her. I always said he'd murder her in her bed, poor soul. Now he's done it, and all you can do is to murmur silly things about heart seizure and inquest on Friday. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, John Cavendish. What do you want me to do? asked John unable to help a faint smile. Dash it all, Evie. I can't haul him down to the local police station by the scruff of his neck. Well, you might do something. Find out how he did it. He's a crafty beggar. Dare say he soaked fly papers. Ask Cook if she's missing any. It occurred to me very forcibly that at that moment to harbour Miss Howard and Alfred Inglethorpe under the same roof and keep the peace between them was likely to prove a Herculean task, and I did not envy John. I could see by the expression of his face that he fully appreciated the difficulty of the position. For the moment, He sought refuge
1: in retreat and left the room precipitately.
0: Dorcas brought in fresh tea and she left the room. Poirot came over from the window where he had been standing and sat down facing Miss Howard. Mademoiselle,
1: he said gravely, I want to ask you something. Ask away said the lady,
0: eyeing him with some disfavour. I want to be able to count upon your help. I'll help you to hang Alfred with pleasure, she replied, gruffly.
1: Hanging's too good for him, ought to be drawn and quartered, like in good old times. We are at one's in, said Poirot, for I Two want to hang the criminal. Alfred Inglethorpe. Him or another? No
0: question of another. Poor Emily was never murdered until he came along. I don't say she wasn't surrounded by sharks. She was. But it was only her purse that they were after. Her life was safe enough. But along comes Mr. Alfred Inglethorpe, and within two months, hey presto. Believe me, Miss Howard, said Poirot, very earnestly. If Mr. Inglethorpe is the man, he shall not escape me, on my honour. I will hang him as
1: I as Amon. That's better, said Miss Howard,
0: more enthusiastically. But I must ask you to trust me. Now your help may be very valuable to me. I will tell you why. Because, in all this house of mourning, yours are the only eyes that have wept. Miss Howard blinked, and a new note crept into
1: the gruffness of her voice. If you mean that I
0: was fond of her, yes, I was. You know, Emily was a selfish old woman in her way. She was very generous, but she always wanted a return. She never let people forget what she had done for them. And, that way, she missed love.
1: Don't think she ever realised it, though, or felt the lack of it. Hope not, anyway. I was on a different
0: footing. I took my stand from the first. So many pounds a year I'm worth to you, well and good, but not a penny piece besides, not a pair of gloves, nor a theatre ticket. She didn't understand, was very offended sometimes, said I was foolishly proud. It wasn't
1: that, but I couldn't explain. Anyway, I
0: kept my self respect. And so, Out of the whole bunch, I was the only one who could allow myself to be fond of her. I watched over her. I guarded her from the lot of them. And then a glib-tongued scoundrel came along. And Pooh. All my years of devotion go for nothing.
1: Poirot nodded sympathetically.
0: I understand, mademoiselle. I understand all you feel. It is most natural. You think that we are lukewarm, that we lack fire and energy, but trust me, it is not so." John stuck his head in at this juncture and invited us both to come up to Mr. Inglethorpe's room, as he and Mr. Wells had finished looking through the desk in the boudoir. As we went up the stairs, John looked back to the dining room door and lowered his voice confidentially. Look here, what's going to happen when these two meet?
1: I shook my head helplessly.
0: I've told Mary to keep them apart if she can. Will she be able to do so? The Lord only knows. There's one thing, Inglethorpe himself won't be too keen on meeting her. You've got the keys still, haven't you, Poirot? I asked as we reached the door of the locked room. Taking the keys from Poirot, John unlocked it and we all passed in. The lawyer went straight to the desk and John followed him. My mother kept most of her important papers in this dispatch case, I believe, he said. Poirot drew out the small bunch of keys.
1: Permit me, I locked it, out of precaution this morning. But it's not locked now. Impossible. See? And John lifted the lid as he spoke. Miltonaire, cried Poirot, dumbfounded. And I, who have both the keys in my pocket? He flung himself upon the case. Suddenly, he stiffened. Et voilà affair affair. This lock has been forced. What? Poirot laid down the case again. But who forced it? Why
0: should they? When? But the door was locked. These exclamations burst from us disjointedly. Poirot answered them categorically, almost mechanically.
1: Oh That is the question. Why? Ah, if only I knew. When?
0: Since I was here an hour ago. As to the door being locked, it is a very ordinary lock. Probably any other of the door keys since this passage would fit it. We stared at one another blankly. Poirot had walked over to the mantelpiece. He was outwardly calm, but I noticed his hands, which from long force of habit were mechanically straightening the split vases on the mantelpiece. Was shaking
1: violently. See here,
0: it was like this, he said at last. There was something in that case, some piece of evidence, slight in itself perhaps, but still enough of a clue to connect the murderer to the crime. It was vital to him that it should be destroyed before it was discovered. And its significance appreciated. Therefore, he took the risk, the great risk, of coming in here. Finding the case locked, he was obliged to force it, thus betraying his presence. For him to take that risk, it must have been something of great importance.
1: But what was it? Ah
0: cried Poirot, with a gesture of anger. That I do not know. A document of some kind, without doubt. Possibly the scrap of paper Dorcas saw in her hand yesterday afternoon. And I. His anger burst forth freely. Miserable animal that I am. I guessed nothing. I have behaved like an imbecile. I should never have left the case here. I should have carried it away with me. Ah, triple pig. And now it is gone. It is destroyed. But is it destroyed? Is there not yet a chance? We must leave no stone unturned. He rushed like a madman from the room, and I followed him as soon as I had sufficiently recovered my wits but by the time I had reached the top of the stairs, he was out of sight. Mary Cavendish was standing where the staircase branched, staring down into the hall in the direction he had disappeared. "'What has happened to your extraordinary little friend, Mr. Hastings? He has just rushed past me like a mad bull.' He's rather upset about something, I remarked feebly. I really did not know how much Poirot would wish me to disclose. As I saw a faint smile gather on Miss Cavendish's expressive mouth, I endeavoured to try and turn the conversation by saying, They haven't
1: met yet, have they? Who?
0: Mr. Inglethorpe and Miss Howard. She looked at me in a rather disconcerting manner. Do you think it would be such
1: a disaster if they did meet? Well, don't you, I said, rather taken aback. No. She was smiling in her quiet way. I
0: should like to see a good flare-up. It would clear the air. At present, we're all thinking so much and saying so little.
1: John doesn't think so, I remarked. He's anxious to keep them apart. Oh, John. Something in her tone fired me, and I blurted
0: out, Old John's an awful good sort. She studied me curiously for a minute or two, and then said, to my great surprise, You are loyal to your
1: friend. I like you for that. Aren't you my friend too? I am a very bad friend. Why do you say that? Because it is
0: true. I am charming to my friends one day and forget all about them the next.
1: I don't know what impelled
0: me, but I was nettled and I said foolishly and not in the best of taste. Yet, you seem to be invariably charming to Dr. Bowerstein. Instantly, I regretted my words. Her face stiffened. I had the impression of a steel curtain coming down and blotting out the real woman. Without a word, she turned. And went swiftly up the stairs whilst I stood like an idiot, gaping after her. I was recalled to other matters by a frightful row going on below. I could hear Poirot shouting and expounding. I was vexed to think that my diplomacy had been in vain. The little man appeared to be taking the whole house into his confidence. A proceeding of which I, for one, doubted the wisdom. Once again, I could not help regretting that my friend was so prone to lose his head in moments of excitement. I stepped briskly down the stairs. The sight of me calmed Poirot almost immediately. I drew him aside. My dear fellow, I said. Is this wise? Surely you don't want the whole house to know of this occurrence? You are actually playing into the criminal's hands.
1: You think so, Hastings? I'm sure of it. Well, well, my friend. I will be guided by you. Good. Although, unfortunately, it is a little too late now. Sure.
0: He looked so crestfallen and abashed that I felt quite sorry, though I still thought my rebuke a just and wise one.
1: Well, he said at last, let us go, mon ami. You have finished. For the moment, yes. You will walk back with me to the village.
0: Willingly. He picked up his little suitcase and we went out through the open window in the drawing room. Cynthia Murdoch was just coming in, and Poirot stood aside to let her pass. Excuse me, mademoiselle.
1: One minute. Yes, she turned
0: inquiringly. Did you ever make up Mrs Ingallsorb's medicines? A slight flush rose in her face. As she answered rather constrainedly, No.
1: Only her powders? The flash
0: deepened as Cynthia replied, Oh, yes, I did make up some sleeping powders for her once. These? Poirot produced the empty box which had contained
1: powders. She nodded. Can you tell me? What they were? Sulfanol? Veranol? No, they were bromide powders. Ah, thank you, mademoiselle. Good morning.
0: As we walked briskly away from the house, I glanced at him more than once. I'd often before noticed that, if anything excited him, his eyes turned green like a cat's. They were shining like emeralds now. My friend, he broke out at last, I have a little idea, a very strange and probably utterly impossible
1: idea, and yet it fits in.
0: I shrugged my shoulders, I privately thought that Poirot was rather too much given to these fantastic ideas. In this case, surely, the truth was only too plain and apparent. So that is the explanation of the blank label on the box, I remarked. Very simple, as you said. I really wonder that I did not think of it myself.
1: Poirot did not appear to be listening to me.
0: They have made one more discovery. Le bas, he observed, jerking his thumb over his shoulder in the direction of Stiles. Mr. Wells told me as we were going upstairs. What was it? Looked up in the desk of the boudoir, they found the will of Mrs. Inglesorps dated before her marriage, leaving her fortune to Alfred Ingledorpe. It must have been made just at the time they were engaged. It came quite as a surprise to Mr. Wells, and to John Cavendish too. It was written on one of those printed will forms, and witnessed by two of the servants, not Dorcas. Did Mr. Inglethorpe know of it? He says not. One might take that with a grain of salt, I remarked skeptically. All these wills are very confusing. Tell me, how did those scribbled words on the envelope help you to discover that a will was made yesterday afternoon?
1: Poirot smiled. Have
0: you ever, when writing a letter, been arrested by the fact that you did not know how to spell a certain word?
1: Yes, often, I suppose everyone has.
0: Exactly. And have you not, in such a case, tried the word once or twice on the edge of the blotting paper or a spare scrap of paper to see if it looked right? Well, that is what Mrs. Ingothorpe did. You'll notice that the word possessed is spelt first with one S, and subsequently with two correctly, to make sure she had further tried it in a sentence. Thus, I am possessed. Now, what did that tell me? It told me that Mrs. Ingothorpe had been writing the word Possessed that afternoon, and, having the fragment of paper found in the grate fresh in my mind, the possibility of a will, a document almost certain to contain the word, occurred to me at once. This possibility was confirmed by a further circumstance. In the general confusion, the boudoir had not been swept that morning. And near the desk were several traces of brown mould and earth. The weather had been perfectly fine for some days, and no ordinary boots would have left such heavy deposits. I strolled to the window and saw at once that begonia beds had been newly planted. The mould in the beds was exactly similar to that on the floor of the boudoir, and also, I learnt from you that they had been planted yesterday. I was now sure that one, or possibly both of the gardeners, for there were two sets of footprints in the bed, had entered the boudoir. For if Mrs. Ingothorp had merely wished to speak to them, she would in all probability have stood at the window, and they would not have come into the room at all. I was now quite convinced that she had made a fresh will and had called the two gardeners in to witness her signature. Events proved that I was right in my suspicion. That was very ingenious, I couldn't help admitting. I must confess that the conclusions I drew from those scribbled words were quite erroneous. He smiled. You gave too much rein to your imagination. Imagination is a good servant and a bad master. The simplest explanation is always the most likely. Another point. How did you know that the key of the dispatch case had been lost? I did not know it. It was a guess that turned out to be correct. You observed that it had a piece of twisted wire through the handle. That suggested to me at once that it had possibly been wrenched off a flimsy keyring. Now, if it had been lost and recovered, Mrs Inglethorpe would at once have replaced it on her own bunch, but on her bunch I found what was obviously the duplicate key, very new and bright. Which led me to the hypothesis that somebody else had inserted the original key in the lock of the dispatch case. Yes, I said.
1: Alfred Inglethorpe, without doubt. Poirot looked at me curiously. You are very sure of his guilt. Well, naturally. Every fresh circumstance
0: seems to establish it more clearly. On the contrary, said Poirot, quietly, there are several points in his
1: favour. Oh, come now. Yes, I see only one. And that?
0: That he was not in the house last night. Bad shot, as you English say. You have chosen the one point that to my mind tells against him. How is that? Because if Mr. Ingleshorpe knew that his wife would be poisoned last night, he would certainly have arranged to be away from the house. His excuse was an obviously trumped up one that leaves us two possibilities. Either he knew what was going to happen, or he had a reason of his own for his absence.
1: And that reason? I asked sceptically.
0: Poirot shrugged his shoulders. How should I know? Discreditable without doubt. This mister Ingleshorpe, I should say, is somewhat of a scoundrel. But that
1: does not of necessity make him a murderer. I shook my head. Unconvinced. We do not agree, eh? said Poirot. Well, let us leave it.
0: Time will show which of us is right. Now let us turn to other aspects of the case. What do you make of the fact that all the doors of the bedroom were bolted on the inside? Well, I considered, one must look at
1: it logically. True? I should
0: put it this way. The doors were bolted. Our own eyes have told us that. Yet the presence of the candle grease on the floor and the destruction of the will prove that during the night someone entered the room. You agree so far? Perfectly.
1: Put with admirable clearness. Proceed.
0: Well, I said, encouraged, as the person who entered did not do so by the window, nor by miraculous means, it follows that the door must have been opened from the inside by Mrs. Inglethorpe herself. That strengthens the conviction that the person in question was her husband. She would naturally open the door to her own husband. Poirot shook his head. Why should she? She had bolted the door leading into his bedroom, a most unusual proceeding on her part. She had had the most violent quarrel with him that afternoon. No, he was the last person she would admit. But you agree with me that the door must have been opened by Mrs. Inglethorpe herself. There is another possibility. She may have forgotten to bolt the door into the passage when she went to bed, and have got up later, towards morning, and bolted it then. Poirot,
1: is that seriously your opinion? No, I do
0: not say it so, but it might be. Now to turn to another feature. What do you make of the scrap of conversation you overheard between Mrs. Cavendish and her mother in law? I had forgotten that, I said thoughtfully. That is as enigmatical as ever. It seems incredible that a woman like Mrs. Cavendish, proud and reticent to the last degree, should interfere so violently in what certainly was not her affair. Precisely. It was an astonishing thing for a woman of her breeding to do. It is certainly curious, I agreed. Still, it's unimportant and need not be taken into account. A groan burst from Poirot. What have I always told you? Everything must be taken into account. If the fact will not fit the theory, And let Zifi go.
1: Well, we shall see, I said, nettled. Yes, we shall see.
0: We had reached Leastways Cottage, and Poirot ushered me upstairs to his own room. He offered me one of the tiny Russian cigarettes he himself occasionally smoked. I was amused to notice that he stowed away the used matches most carefully in a little china pot. My momentary annoyance vanished. Poirot had placed our two chairs in front of the open window, which commanded a view of the village street. The fresh air blew in, warm and pleasant. It was going to be a hot day. Suddenly, my attention was arrested by a weedy looking young man rushing down the street at a great pace. It was the expression on his face that was extraordinary a curious mingling of terror
1: and agitation. Look, Poirot, I said. He leaned forward. Tiens, he said. It is Miss Darameis from the chemist's
0: shop. He is coming here. The young man came to a halt before Leastway's cottage and, after hesitating a moment, pounded vigorously on the door. A little minute, cried Poirot from the window. I come. Motioning to me to follow him, he ran swiftly down the stairs and opened the door. Mr. Mace began at once. Oh, Mr. Poirot, I'm sorry for the inconvenience, but I heard that you'd just come back from the hall. Yes, we have. The young man moistened his dry lips, his face was working curiously. It's all over the village about old Mrs. Inglethorpe dying so suddenly. They do say, he lowered his
1: voice cautiously, that it's poison.
0: Poirot's face remained quite impassive. Only the doctor can tell us that, Mr. Mace. Yes, exactly, of course. The young man hesitated, and then his agitation was too much for him. He clutched Poirot by the arm and sank his voice to a whisper. Just tell me this, Mr. Poirot. It isn't... It isn't strickening, is it? I hardly heard what Poirot replied, something evidently of a non-committal nature. The young man departed, and as he closed the door, Poirot's
1: eyes met mine. Yes, he said, nodding gravely. He will have evidence to give the inquest. We went slowly
0: upstairs again. I was opening my lips when Poirot stopped me with a gesture of his hand. Not now, not now, mon ami. I have need of reflection. My mind is in some disorder, which is not well. For about ten minutes he sat in dead silence, perfectly still, except for several expressive motions of his eyebrows, and all the time his eyes grew steadily greener. At last he heaved a deep sigh. It is well, the bad moment has passed, now all is arranged and classified. One must never permit confusion. The case is not clear yet, no, for it is of the most complicated. It puzzles me. Me? Hercule Poirot? There are two facts of significance.
1: And what are they? The first is the
0: state of the weather yesterday. That is very important. But it was a glorious day, I interrupted. Poirot, you're pulling my leg. Not at all. The thermometer registered eighty degrees in the shade. Do not forget that, my friend. It is the key to the old riddle. And the second point, I asked. The important fact that Monsieur Ingosop wears very peculiar clothes as a black beard, and uses glasses.
1: Poirot, I cannot believe you are serious. I am absolutely serious, my friend. But this is childish. No,
0: it is very monumentous. And supposing the coroner's jury returned a verdict of willful murder against Alfred Inglethorpe? What becomes of your theories then? They would not be shaken, because twelve stupid men had happened to make a mistake. But that will not occur. For one thing, a country jury is not anxious to take responsibility upon itself, and Mr. Ingleshorpe stands practically in the position of local squire. Also, he added, placidly,
1: I should not allow it. You would not allow it? No. I looked at the extraordinary
0: little man, divided between annoyance and amusement. He was so tremendously sure of himself, as though he had read my thoughts. He nodded gently. Oh yes, mon ami, I would do what I say. He got up and laid his hand on my shoulder. His physiognomy underwent a complete change. Tears came into his eyes. In all this, you see, I think of that poor Mrs. Inglesorp who's dead. She was not extravagantly loved, no, but she was very good to us Belgians. I owe her a
1: debt. I endeavored to interrupt. But
0: Poirot swept on. Let me tell you this, Aestings. She would never forgive me if I let Alfred Ingosorb, her husband, be arrested now. When a word from me could save him.